0: Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of information technology and cybersecurity professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider becoming a Security Ledger podcast sponsor. We offer per-episode sponsorships of our regular podcast, which features news, analysis, and discussion of the most important security topics of the day, or you can commission a custom podcast that highlights your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your browser to securityledger.com slash sponsor. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, editor in chief at the Security Ledger in this episode of the podcast number 247.
1: But I was like, I've been in security my entire life. I mean, since I've been like 16, um, but I've never defended a company. right? never been in sort of the trenches, the battleground. Right. Like when you're a vendor, it's sort of like you're making weapons. But in reality, you're never in the battleground using them. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, let's just go do it.
0: These days, every business is online and a huge and growing chunk of business activity is transacted online. The Web has, in the space of just 30 years, transformed from a funky little corner of the Internet full of pictures and text to the bedrock of modern commerce. Web browsers have become, in essence, the new operating systems. But it wasn't always that way. Our guest today, Caleb Sima, was there at the very beginning, before SQL injection was a thing, or at least a thing with a name, in the heady days when prominent firms were keen to have web pages but didn't think that web security was anything that warranted their attention. As a security analyst at the pioneering cybersecurity firm Internet Security Systems, or ISS, Caleb was happy to prove them wrong. He turned what he learned exposing weaknesses in corporate websites into a thriving business of its own, Spy Dynamics, which he built into a company with more than 140 employees and more than 1,000 customers before it was sold to HP in 2007. These days, Saima has situated himself across the table from vendors as the chief security officer at Robinhood, the Menlo Park-based stock trading and investments firm. In this podcast, which is part of our CISO Close-Up series, Caleb and I talk about his work as a pioneer in the field of web application security and his decision to go from selling cyber tools into enterprises to fighting in the trenches himself at a cutting edge online financial services and trading platform. To start off our conversation, I asked Caleb to talk a little bit about his responsibilities as the CSO or Chief Security Officer at Robinhood.
1: Caleb Saima, Chief Security Officer at Robinhood. Robinhood is a company that focuses on democratizing finance for all as our mission. Um, and we uh, are primarily a mobile app, but we're also a web application that uh, allows you to be. Be, a, we're a brokerage, we're a crypto company, uh, we're a payments company. So um, you can trade, buy, sell, and send um, in our in our company on yeah. our app.
0: And CSO, Chief Security Officer, what are your marching orders? What is your mandate?
1: I had to do this uh, presentation for our team kickoff. And I was like, you know, what's the simplest way to explain sort of what we do, right? Because I think uh, like everyone has these different things. Oh, we manage risk. Oh, you know, we do these things. But when I was like, if I'm at a cocktail party and uh, there's no one, and I'm talking to people who aren't technical, who don't know security, like what's the simplest way? And we like, well, we try to stop the company from getting hacked, like that's really the most simple yeah. explanation, right? <laughs> and stealing people's <laughs> money, yeah. But then I was thinking about it. Well, it's it's that's actually not that simple, right? Because I mean, you can actually stop getting hacked by just not doing business. Like that's really the answer. Um, I think the challenging part comes back is how do you stop the company from getting hacked while moving at the speed of the business. Um, and that I think is the hard part and so I very uh, very much um, sort of comedically drew a Venn diagram to explain this where I had one circle that's don't get hacked and then the other circle is move at the speed of the business and then the overlap is really where all the work is done right and yes. so what do yeah. we do it's you know as a as chief security officer and I think as a security team our job is to, you know, help us to not get hacked while allowing the, 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 company to move at the speed of business to take risks. Right. And, um, and that, that overlap is, uh, is the hard stuff. And that's where our job is to increase that overlap between the two.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little later because I think I think that's a really interesting kind of observation and and you know we talk about the you talk about the speed of business but the speed of business is not actually a constant right it, it, it's it's accelerating right which, you mean you,
1: we're not going sixty miles an hour or going one hundred and twenty miles an hour and yeah. next year you might need to go two
0: hundred and forty <laughs> miles an hour right I yeah, mean yeah. it's it's right it's not like the speed of light or something right the and speed I could of business al-
1: changes I could also keep this analogy going by saying depending on the stage of your company you could be a, uh, a broken down, uh, car trying to go 120 miles an hour. Uh, or you could <laughs> yeah. be like a Ferrari going 120 miles That's an hour. That's right. That's right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, you could try to be going 120 miles an hour with a, you know, blown head gasket. That's um, right. yeah. So, um, when I, so when we first met, um, which was early, I mean, I think really pretty soon after I came on, um, the cybersecurity beat. You were the CTO and co founder of Spy Dynamics, um, which was the first company you founded. Uh, it was uh, sold to Hewlett Packard, HP. Um, talk a little bit about where the idea to start um, Spy Dynamics uh, came from. This was a web application security company.
1: So I think I would say that the journey really started. Um, at this company called Internet Security Systems, um, out of Atlanta, ISS, and um, it was founded by this guy named Chris Klaus. Purchased by built-
0: IBM eventually, yes.
1: Yeah, so IBM bought the company. Although I was out, I left ISS prior to that acquisition. Um, but uh, yeah, started by Chris Klaus because he created this, you know, the scanner called Internet Security Scanner, and uh, somehow turned it into a business, which back then was really. Um, very rare, right? Because this is, we're talking 1994, 1995 kind of timeframe. And so dedicated security companies were were not like what you see at RSA today when you walk around uh, the conference. And so um, I joined that company as a researcher in the X-Force, which is what it was called, Um, prior to their IPOs. It was a pretty small company. I was one of those guys that you know, sit in the, in the office with the room, with the lights turned off. And then like they slid pizzas under the door while we like reverse engineered software and wrote exploits. Like that was my first job really at ISS. And yeah. so. Guard of the guys in the hoodies at computer terminals and dark rooms. That's actually, those yeah. are
0: actually pictures of Caleb when he was starting mm-hmm.
1: out. And funny <laughs> enough, I'm still wearing a hoodie even during this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh yeah, so you know that was a that was sort of like the the job, and then I remember one day, uh, they came to me and they said, "Hey, Caleb, uh, we want to go start doing these tests against companies because the, our buyers, our customers, are asking to test them to be able to prove that they need to buy our software, our products, right?" And so um, they're like, "Would you like to go do that?" And I was like, "Okay, sure." So, I went out of this sort of dark room research mode into this, you know, pen testing, right? but it wasn't called pen testing back then. It like, there, that wasn't even, I think, a term. It was just basically called, Caleb, go justify the purchase of our products. <laughs> right. And so I would get pointed, a customer would say, okay, come test us. And then I would go and break in. And, um, and I started doing that uh, so often uh that i got very good at it um but at that time you know firewalls were kind of becoming the standard and all these things were coming up yeah and i just i remember the first time um and again this was like gosh probably 96 or 95 or something i went to a website and it had their website just had a an authentication form on it right username a password box and I was like, okay, Ike, what am I going to do with this? You try, you know, brute force guessing some things. And then I just viewed the source code of the webpage. And in the source of the code of the webpage, there is comments in it. That was a conversation between developers of the website talking <laughs> <laughs> inside the comments of the webpage, talking about, oh, go here to change this. And they had put a URL and they would do all these things. I was like, what in the world? And I copied the URL and it dumped me into an admin little dashboard of that website. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Uh, <laughs> I think I there's just, a
0: security problem with web wow I was
1: like, really? Um, and I just started going down that road. Every single company I went to, I started just looking at the web stuff. Because this is when web was first started really coming out, becoming a business thing. Yeah. And I just started breaking into everything through websites. And I yeah. think that started this momentum of, hey, oh my gosh, there is something really, there's a real problem here that right. no one talks about. Yeah. Uh, eBay was getting really popular, mm-hmm. right? Like all of these things were all like, people were starting to say, okay, this is how businesses, is, you know, when you right. start moving to the web, right?
0: And I anticipate that the answer to this question is going to be really depressing, but um, what were some of the security issues that you found back then, Caleb?
1: <laughs> I, I, obviously, you, uh, I'll talk about names, but uh, I mean, it, it went from everything. I mean, at the time, and, and I don't know if you remember this, but yeah, you know, obviously SQL injection was sort of, is sort of a known yeah. thing today, but back then it was not even termed SQL. No, number one on though. the
0: OWASP, I think.
1: Yeah, yep. Right. Yeah. And so when I was doing this, I, I sort of stumbled upon SQL injection by accident, um, and was using SQL injection until I had stumbled upon, uh, RFP or rainforest puppy, uh actually posting uh about sql injection not again not calling it that and at the time frame it was difficult to find a company or a application that was not vulnerable to it so that was really really interesting we i wrote a um a google script an automated script that would basically Uh, rotate through as many Google results as I could um, and automatically put in the single tick and like 95% of the results at that time would always flag it. It was crazy. So basically anything you can think of uh, during that time I was at ISS, I broke into, you name it. (laughs) So yeah, there was no
0: security. Yeah.
1: Not through the web. It was just completely um, wide open. So So
0: at what point did you sort of did did the idea for Spy Dynamics um, come into your head and you said, actually, I think we can make a business out of this?
1: So um, as any good lazy person and I am a lazy person um, does, uh, you automate uh, all of the things you do. So I had. I had written this script because I was doing the same stuff over and over again, uh, crawling websites, injecting bad parameters, doing things, you know, looking for directories. So I just kind of automated that all up. And I remember I was at a customer site and I was doing an assessment and the person was sitting next to me. At the time, we didn't really have CISOs, but he was the person in charge of security. And I was running this thing and, and he was watching me do this. And he was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, this is just my script that automates all the web stuff that I do. And he was like, can you give that to me? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's just my stuff. And he was like, I'll buy it from you. And I was like, really? <laughs> he's like, yeah, He was like, how much, you know, how, how much would you sell it to me for? And I was like, I don't know, 20 K. And he's like, okay, done. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he was like, Yeah just like zip it up and then like, uh, send it to me. I was like, okay. And so I did that. I got like, Hmm. I was like, this is interesting. Um, and I started like talking to others. Right. So I started talking to other people and they were like, oh yeah, I would totally pay for that. And I was like, wow, this is maybe a thing. And so I went to, uh, I went to the, at the time, Besides the you're in the
0: early days of the security yeah. <laughs> industry, like, well, yeah. how do you know that you had an idea? It's like, uh, people were literally like pushing money into my hands to, <laughs> yeah. to get what I had.
1: <laughs> that was I, the sign. Like That oh. was the sign. I was like, yeah. well, this is something, right? Don't need a and deck. You don't need any of that. And it was, you know, because bootstrapped, like actually yeah. Spy was, was, was mostly bootstrapped. But by the way, not because, not by choice. Uh, we tried to go raise capital at tons and tons of places, and they were all like, "Who's this 19-year-old kid uh, and talking this web stuff?" Like nobody got it, nobody understood. Um, and so, like it was a, it was a, it was a really, really fascinating journey uh, uh, on doing this. And I remember, I remember, I was so frustrated by not being able to raise capital. Uh, because nobody understood it. So I said, okay, from this point forward, in the next meeting, I'm going to basically break into something. And so in the next meeting, in the next capital, I was like, they were like, we don't understand. I was like, let me just show you. And so I brought up uh, a company and I broke into it via the website and they were like, oh, you shouldn't be able to do that. I'm like, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, okay, well yeah. well, we could probably put some money in and it worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, like when I when I when I break into something, it's not like a real website that was like there. And they were like, "Oh, I get it now that I see what you're doing. Right. Uh, I can see how this is done. So
0: yeah, it's like it's so funny. It, it, it's like unless you were there, like it's hard to get people to understand um, how clueless and wide open. Everything was even as early as the, you know early 2000s, right? When obviously there were a lot of companies you know investing yeah. very heavily in this technology.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I remember you know to getting briefed by you and and talking you know with Spy Dynamics and some of your competitors as well and. It was, you know, it was still a challenge for you to convince companies that this was technology that they needed to invest in, that the downside risk for them was substantial enough to warrant the investment. I mean, that was not a uh, no brainer conversation.
1: And it took, you know, we had to, we were creating a new market, right? And we had to educate that market and it took a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of time. I remember like one of our claims to fame is that we got web security into PCI and um, people will either hate me or love me for that. But uh, the fact that we, you know, I I feel like I've helped change the industry by getting something like that into a standard, right?
0: The face that launched a thousand consultants.
1: (laughs) And made a lot of people a lot of money, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's, uh, you know, and now when you look at the industry today, obviously almost everything is web, right? Yeah. Everything is application based. And I knew that was going to be the case, right? Yeah. You Um, saw that coming. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to see actually today, um, how advanced, um, people have gotten in terms of how they do things. And like, I look at some of the things that my team does. Uh, at Robinhood. And it just blows my mind in terms of how our red team works and the ways that they are able to navigate and think. Or you just look at bug bounties and how the level of, of uh, sort of complexity that they put together to bypass things is absolutely amazing.
0: You were saying that you were talking with one of your colleagues and like they didn't, they didn't know that you were actually like uh, an application security like OG... And like yeah. Somebody, somebody had to like enlighten, enlighten. Yeah.
1: You know. So, my head of product security at Robinhood, um, he 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 messaged me. Uh, this was maybe like a month or two ago, and he goes, uh, "I had no idea you knew about application security." <laughs> <laughs> and my. And my, my, my response to him was, see, this shows what a good leader I am. I'm not micromanaging you at all. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. You're not
0: like trotting out your, you know, your actually very impressive, you know, track record and talking about your exits and all the other crap. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I don't talk a lot about what I do. The one thing I don't <laughs> do is I don't go to my ProdSec team and say, I know a lot about AppSec and here's what you're going to go do. Because yeah. actually I don't anymore. Right. Like when you think about uh, where those things are today, my level of knowledge is so old. So, um, but I can claim I helped change an industry, I think. And I think that's really awesome to be able to say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So after you did a uh, spy dynamics, the next two positions you had were actually CEO positions um, at uh, Armorize and uh, what was it? Blue Box. Blue Box. Yeah. And uh, both acquired, right? And then, and now you are a CSO. So you've kind of done the tour of the C-suite, basically, you know, CTO, CEO, CSO,
1: yeah. uh,
0: you know, CMO maybe is in your future. I don't know,
1: but. Uh, uh... That, that would be an interesting one. Uh, n- not on my plan, <laughs> not, not on my not on my yeah, list of I, things I'm, to go do. Joking.
0: That and um, kind of what you got out of each of those positions and whether, which, which of them, Caleb is happiest
1: being? Oh, that's a great question. Um, So those are two questions. So first I'll talk about a little bit how those sort of things came to be, and then we'll talk about the happiest. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, how it came to be was obviously as I was moving up in my career, um, I was looking and I had more and more ideas, right? Like once you've done, you know, a lot of people say once you've been an entrepreneur, uh, it's in your blood. And you become a builder and that's just what you want to do. You want, you look at the way, you look at the world the way it should be versus the way it is. And everything that drives me is how do I get the way, the world to be the way that I see it. And that is sort of the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, And so both with Armorize, with Blue Box, uh, there were things that I wanted to go do in areas I wanted to go build to be able to go do that. And CEOs sort of came as, uh, as a natural position into those roads because I just started saying, here's what I want to go do. Here's how I'm going to go do it. And it just started rolling that way. Um, now, the real interesting juncture, I think, is how did I go from sort of uh, CEO and founders on the entrepreneurial path, which is most of my life, right, mm-hmm. is in that path to this, oh, I went to go be basically sort of a soldier at Capital One, uh, defending an organization, uh, moving to a large company and yep. basically just having many, many layers of bosses. Like, what, how did that happen? Um, I think that's what most people sort of ask is why make that switch? Um, and what happened, I think after blue box was, um, I really wanted to go build something like what I was building in the, in the sort of the last two companies were things that were really interesting, but niche in their mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I wanted to build, I wanted to go solve like a really big problem that really mattered. And so when I was thinking about what what really matters, and I started looking at the market, the cybersecurity, there's all of these great cybersecurity startups doing almost everything you can think of, right? Um, Yet when you go look at the actual news of breaches and what occurs in actual breaches, they're all because of fundamental problems, like patching, databases just being open on the internet. Like these aren't Authentication, yeah. Authentication. These aren't hard problems, right? right? Or, or quote unquote, you think, oh, why? Like, we have technology to solve this. Why are we getting popped by these issues? Right. And so I was like, okay, I could go do what I used to do, which I you know, go talk to CISOs and say, hey, what is your problems and go figure out how to go build something to solve that. But I was like, I've been in security my entire life. I mean, since I've been like 16, um, but I've never defended a company, right? Never been in sort of uh, the, trenches. The, what I, the trenches, the battleground. Right? like when you're a vendor it's sort of like you're making weapons but in reality you're never in the battleground using them and so mm-hmm. i was like let's just go do it and so mm-hmm. i took a step back and said i'm just going to go be an operator um, and go figure it out and so i went to capital one yep. on the goals of saying let's go figure out what the real problems are and why these problems exist And again, if I can think of the way the world should be, then I'm going to have a whole list of startups that are ways that I want to go solve the problems that I learn. So when I went to Capital One, I actually learned I really enjoy this. Like being in the battlefield is pretty amazing, right? Like uh, you are in the action, you're dealing with the stuff every day, and it's crazy. Um, Like the amount of things that you've got to deal with and the things you've got to learn and understand. And it really it really enlightened me a lot like when i used to think of back when i was a vendor and building startups like the fact that i didn't know this side of the house baffles me right because now that i know the side of the house things are so much clearer what, what kind of came into focus for you i think that when you when you think about sort of building things you think about again just sort of well hey here's this this problem that i can go create and mm-hmm. solve for Um, when in reality, when you look at the biggest problems, I think in an organization, it's not about these niche sort of problem sets in these areas. We are still today struggling with the basic fundamentals of an organization. Like patching is still a problem in every single organization. Mm -hmm. It's still like, and I remember Mm -hmm. like just when I walked into Capital One, my first question was, Hey, I was like, what do we own? What sort of things do we have? and the fact that no one at the time could really answer that was like what really you kind of have this really is that really a problem and so it's like these fundamentals that every org has right and like IT anyone asset who's listening, management was born <laughs> yeah well i mean and it asset management was like dealing with like like hardware like laptops yeah. and chairs yeah. and tables yeah. but then you ask well hey how many how many root users do we have in our company yeah. who's going to go answer that for me like all the all the listeners of this right now can't go pull that number is going to be my bet. Nope. <laughs> right. And so it's like really simple, fundamental things. Not unless they're that sole proprietorships,
0: which in which case maybe they can.
1: Like Paul as an as a standalone LLC. <laughs> <laughs> I have one root user on my laptop. <laughs> uh, yeah. We get you that information if you need it. <laughs> So it's just that it's just like these, what's enlightening and what's clarifying is like, you know, it's the, the, the basic problems, um, is still the things that we deal with. And it's the, what happens is technology moves quickly and we just don't learn. So the same basic problems that you have in a technology of yesterday, then reiterates itself as the same problem, but in a different technology stack tomorrow. Right. 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 And, and our jobs are effectively, well, I just tried to solve it here, but I'm at moving at the speed of business. I need to now go solve it here. And right. it just becomes this ever increasing pattern, right? Of this happening. Yeah. So.
0: yeah. I mean, one thing that you hear a lot too, is just that compliance, while useful, can also be, you know, drain attention time resources from actually productive security I mean, you are a capital one, obviously highly regulated industry. Did you have that experience? Did you feel like we're spending way too much of our time on compliance, not enough time on doing stuff that matters?
1: I have a little bit of a different view on this. I actually truly believe that compliance and regulations are really doing and pushing for the right things, Um, right? When you look at what they're doing, uh, they are asking the right questions. Of course, some of them can be behind the times, right? Again, moving at the speed of business is hard to do. But mm-hmm. compliance is really trying to do the right thing. Regulations are trying to do the right thing. They're looking at it through the lens of how do I look at you and have you verify that you're doing the right thing? And that's a hard question to answer. Right. I think where the struggle happens is when if you're a CISO or, or you're, you're driving a security organization based solely on compliance, or regulation, then that's when you're, you need to rethink how you're doing that. Like, let me give you an example. To me, compliance and regulation is a translation, right? So like, if you do the fundamentals well, which what they're, what, what compliance is trying to do is say, hey, are you doing the fundamentals well, right? It's, a, it's you have to tell them and verify that. But if you do the fundamentals well, then it doesn't matter who is or what organization's trying to ask you and verify you're doing the. it's then translation. It's like, okay, I've done the base fundamentals really well and now I just need to translate it to all the different compliances that need to understand that. And so if you focus on doing the fundamentals, if you focus on actually doing the right level of risk management in your organization, then compliance should be able to be done easier right? Because mm-hmm. then you're just translating what you've done to all the different ways that they need to hear it so that right. they can then verify it. I think right. if you do it the opposite way, which it says one compliance comes down and says, you need to do it this way, this way, and this way. And that's where you start building it. Then when the next one comes, then it's a whole different way. And then you are just like, basically spot thing everywhere. Right. And that's right. very, very right. difficult versus St- just saying
0: up fires, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're all just trying to verify that you are doing the right things fundamentally well. Mm-hmm. And you just, just go, go for that and then translate it for them later.
0: So, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Robinhood is a, um, you know, B- B2C platform your mobile and web-based, uh, stock trading, uh, platform. And, um, you've talked a lot when, when we've talked personally, just about, the need to improve kind of the customer experience of security um, and really make it sort of humor friendly in some ways, um, user friendly in a way that um, often it isn't. Most of the companies you've been at to date have been, you know, enterprise focused, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of talk about that, what what you mean by that and how that, how having maybe more of a customer centric or consumer centric approach would change the way you we, you know, companies think about how they do security.
1: I mean, my my inspiration has always been Apple's iPhone. Um, when I think about security and privacy done well, the iPhone is a fantastic example of this. Um, you know, we use an iPhone every single day to get what we want done, from whether it's editing a work document to taking a photo of yourself, right? And you don't think about the security and privacy that Apple's iPhone comes with. But what it does come with is extraordinarily advanced, right? Mm -hmm. All the way through the entire stack from hardware to you, security, privacy is built into every single layer of that phone. Um, And it's very complex. And so um, that to me is the way that we should be going is how do we make it so simple and so easy? So like. For example, coming into Robinhood, one of the things that is really, um, I think, uh, very, very useful is this passwordless movement, right, where... You look at an Apple iPhone. We went from having to put in pin codes, passcodes, to Touch ID, to Face ID, and it's starting. It's that not only is it becoming easier, but the actual verification is becoming better, right? And it's becoming more secure. Um, And so when I, one of the the goals I wanted coming into Robinhood was how can we do that for our customers? It's, it passwordless is the one thing that you can actually one make a better user experience for customers and yeah. two more secure um and that is a win-win across the board right and so um one of the things i am proud of um is that when ios came out with passkey uh on day one robin hood was there we had the ability to do passkey and passwordless inside of our app right off the right off the gate, and we worked really hard during that year to make sure that that was there. Now we're not so, quite done, but yeah. we're like we're, we're doing really really good things there.
0: So for folks who haven't used passkey yet, or one of the other technologies that uses the same kind of underlying uh, technology, how, how is it different? What is it? What does it do? And from an implementation standpoint what's involved in switching from you know uh, maybe traditional password plus 2fa to
1: it's it, the simplest way to say it is you know people are familiar with hardware keys right you've got this ub key uh or yeah. hardware keys that people plug in and use in order to be the most secure um in 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 passkey is embedding that key into your device and that's fantastic um and so now it means you don't have to carry around this extra key you actually have it built into your mobile device or to your iphone and you can then just use and authenticate to these applications like Robinhood using that hardware device in 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 the, in the right way and that becomes super, super easy. And in Robinhood, all you have to do is go to your security settings, and you can choose passkey, and then that wow. enables it for you. It is hardware based, so uh, using WebAuthn, you've got a chip inside of the device that allows you to basically do the the right authentication to say, "I know this is the device." And like, how does that? How does a user experience it? Let me give you an example. Yeah. So, if you were to uh, let's say. Uh, log in or delete uh, the Robinhood app, log in and reinstall and log in as your user and as, as an upgrade, you can just choose, oh, hey, I want to use Passkey. And on fresh install, it would say, great. It will recognize it, log you right into your account. No password needed, um, nice. which is really nice. So, yeah. and I think that, um, again, gives you great user experience with great safety.
0: Yeah, because I mean, how many, how many breaches, how many uh, both you know, kind of low end, I mean, forget about kind of the consumer space, but even, you know, the enterprise space really resolved to leak stolen credentials, right? Whether those are, you know, remote desktop credentials, you know, VPN credentials, what have you, um, that uh, you know, developer right. accounts. Uh, I mean, this is just such a core problem uh, having, you know, still relying on passwords,
1: um, and I'm for, I'm very uh, excited that we will we, we we do we will have a time that we'll we will get there um, because passwords have to die. <laughs> Password. I
0: agree. One of the things that's really accelerating the speed of business is DevOps and and agile development. Supply chain security is a really big topic right now. Um, what, what's your take on it? Um, is this just kind of the latest kind of fad in the information security space, or is it? really where the problem and the attacks and uh, are going?
1: I think that there is there is sort of a, a short-term and a long-term answer to this, right? Um, I, I think that uh, short-term, uh, no, this is not a problem that I think most people should be worried about. I think that there are unique cases around where that should be worried about. But like, for example, I'm not going through every single piece of our software and every dependency to determine if someone is embedding a backdoor in that dependency because some open source contributor was malicious. right? Like Trying to go tr- track and trace that down is a real waste of time at the current time frame. Um, what do I do instead? I assume that, that they're already in that code base. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then what happens is you have to ask the question, Okay, if my software does have a malicious embedded library, what are they going to do with it? Right. Is the question to ask. And so if you deploy malicious software onto your production endpoints, they're gonna to have to use it in some way. At some point, mm-hmm. they're gonna to have to say, well, what am I going to go do with this? And that means they're gonna to have to break out of that software and or figure out how to exploit your production servers in order to go do that. So the where I'm putting my energy is right. making the assumption it's already malicious. And right. so when we look at our production stuff, we say, if this was malicious, what are these people gonna go do? And spend our time focusing on those things um, as, an, as a, well, what's sort of the blast radius? How do you retain? How do you contain them? How do you respond? Uh, those are the things we want to spend our time and effort on right now. However, long term, um, you know, I do think that there's importance in this. Understanding um, where software comes from and the validity of the software and the reliability Uh, All of and the security of that software, I think, is a great long term challenge. But I don't see this being solved anytime soon.
0: Caleb Syma, CSO at Robinhood, thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. We'll have to do this again.
1: Okay. It was fun. Thanks, Paul.
0: Caleb Sima is the Chief Security Officer at Robinhood.